Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Motivational Intelligence Podcast. I'm Sean Johnson, and on this podcast, it's our job to deconstruct for you what makes people and organizations successful. We got a really cool interview for you today. Uh, Keith Hyden was diagnosed with a degenerative eye disease after he uh, had some complications with strep throat when he was really young, uh, about 10 or 12 years old, that resulted in him becoming legally blind. Uh, And despite that, He's overcome that condition to bowl, I think it's four or five perfect games. Uh, He plays golf regularly. He manages a heat treating plant, drives boats, and he's been a phenomenal father to four children. Uh, And so his his work with the heat treating plant, um, the success of it was actually a family business uh, that was built on heat treating bullet casings for World War II, during World War II. Uh, And now they heat treat satellite parts, military equipment, uh, boat propellers, and and much, much more. So this story and this interview is about how despite his apparent limitations, Keith has been able to defy expectations time and time again over the course of his remarkable life. And this interview is about the lessons that he's learned along the way. So I think it's something that you'll really enjoy. Um, Please reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook and let us know what you think. Uh, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And uh, send this to somebody that uh, you think might find it valuable. Until next time, enjoy this episode with Keith Hyden. The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at Two Logical. Two Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. Two Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Advisor, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to twological.com. Well, hello, everybody. We have a, uh, a very, very uh, cool individual with us today, uh, uh, a bit of a renaissance man uh, in terms of uh, everything that he's done and accomplished in the course of his life and uh, a pretty inspiring story all in all. You know, I, I, um, uh, I, I met my wife uh, back when we were in high school and we dated for a long time. And I remember... Uh, I remember when she was in 10th grade, her, uh, her 10th grade math teacher, Mr. Powell, told her that uh, she was no good at math, uh, you know, that uh, girls just couldn't do math for whatever reason. And uh, my wife, she, she bought into that label. And what's interesting is, you know, here we are, uh, you know, 30 odd years later, and to this day, she still, uh, you know, owns that label that she's no good at math. And I think so many individuals as they journey through life, you know, they, they label themselves in different ways. You know, they, they label themselves and say, well, I'm, I'm not a morning person or, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm no good at remembering people's names or, you know, whatever, whatever else it may be. And uh, the gentleman that we have with us today is one of those individuals who 
has has managed to avoid those labels uh, in a in a pretty spectacular way. Um, his name is Keith Hyden, and Keith is a gentleman. He runs a, uh, a hardening, a steel hardening uh, facility. A, uh, he's a gentleman who has, uh, he's an avid bowler, a golfer, has raced sailboats, has uh, captained a boat, uh, which is a, a, a pretty impressive boat. I've seen it. Um, he uh, has, uh, is an individual who has accomplished some pretty incredible things in the in the course of his lifetime. And oh, by the way, uh, I should also mention that he's a gentleman who is also legally blind. So uh, an individual who has uh, done a miraculous job uh, avoiding the labels. And so Keith, welcome to the show today. Thank you. So Keith, tell us a little bit. Uh, now, initially, you, your eyesight, uh, it started to become an issue when, when you were pretty young, right? About 10 or 11. Okay. So. I have what's called uveitis. Okay. It's a disease that attacks the uveal tract by the retina. Okay. And uh, it's when it lays dormant, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that things flare it up. Okay. Um, and I had a disease when I was younger, a strep, strep infection when I was younger, which flared it. Okay. To the point that I was almost blind when I was 12. Wow. Um, the so. eyesight came back when they cured the strep infection. Okay. Um, but then to keep the disease dormant mm -hmm. over the years, you're taking medications that attacks the rest of the eye. Okay. So in the, in the 50, well, 60 years I've been doing this mm -hmm. with my eyesight, you start losing um, cataracts go bad because okay. the medicine attacks them. My cornea has been turned transplanted twice. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, cataracts kind of thing. And the retina is always deteriorating. Mm -hmm. Now it's just slowing it down. The, 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 as I said the before, I told you before, the right eye, totally right. gone. Mm -hmm. Maybe 25, 30 years ago. Okay. Uh, the left eye is 2300, 350. Okay. Depending on what day it is, just how clear it is, because the disease lets um, cells flow into the uveal tract, which block the eye, make okay. it blurry. So, and some days it's better than others, and, you know, depending on clarity and stuff like that. And I've stayed just one step ahead of technology. Yeah. Um, they couldn't actually, when I first had my cataract done, they couldn't even take it out. Hmm. It just had to get bad, and then finally somebody discovered a way of doing it. I okay. actually had a kid's operation at, you know, I was, what, 29 when I had it removed. Okay. And uh, they actually did an operation they normally do on three-year-olds and four-year-olds. Huh. They emulsified it and took it out, but okay. they couldn't replace it. So I had the thick glasses for a while. And then when they did my first cornea transplant, they also replaced the cataract. Okay. So, uh, but it deteriorates over years. And, uh, and the cornea transplant only lasts a few years. My first one lasted 10. And this one's been in three, and it started to deteriorate already. So okay. uh, that'll have to be replaced again. Okay. But it's just, you know, it's you go along with it. It's just part of, you know, I've stayed ahead of technology. I feel blessed that I've still got my eyesight. Yeah. Enough of it to at least get around. Right. As I said, 2350 is not near as bad as a lot of other people are out there in 2200. I have full circumference of my vision. Okay. Which a lot of people have narrow vision and stuff mm -hmm. like that. They're a lot worse off than I am. Okay. So it just depends on the level and how you do it and how you manage it. Yeah. There's, there's not a whole lot I can't do. Mm -hmm. um, with limitations. Uh, the nice thing about a bowling ball, it comes back to you. Uh, <laughs> golf balls don't come back to you. They get lost. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, 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 I'm no better than my supporting staff. Um, yeah. My kids have been fantastic about it. They've always been great to me. I play some golf with my son all the time. 
Um, I bowled with my daughter and my son, uh, my wife. My wife's a great support in the fact that, you know, she has to take me to work every day and yeah. pick me up. Yeah. Um, you, know, you don't get that too often and somebody that's willing to get up when she's retired as she is. Yeah. And still take me to work every day and come and get me and, you know, put up with it. But There's, So you really know better than what your supporting staff is. And I've yeah. had a great supporting staff. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, Keith. So I mean, you were pretty young when this this initially came on. Uh, so how did you how did it kind of first present itself? Well, as I said, the first time I ever did it, I was only eleven or twelve, yeah. and I almost went blind. Yeah. But then the eyesight came back to the point that at that point you really didn't have a problem. I was back to twenty thirty, twenty forty okay. with glasses and stuff like that. So there, at first it wasn't, but we knew it was going to be a slow deterioration. Okay. I've had great doctors. Yeah. I mean, when I went and first saw Dr. Pearson, which was when I was 11, okay. I went in there because they th- thought I had pink eye. Okay. And he looked at me and he says, I can't handle this. Hmm. And he sent me down to John Hopkins Hospital okay. down in Baltimore. Uh, they were the ones that figured out what was going on. He sent me to a doctor called uh, Dr. Wood. He's okay. one of the best UVA. He knows UVI just better than anybody else mm-hmm. around. He, that was his specialty was. And at that time, he was like 85, hmm. and this was 61. Yeah. So uh, it was incredible that they were able to save my vision back then. So as I said, I just stayed ahead of it. And I've had great doctors, Dr. Yeah. Pearson, Dr. Kennedy, uh, Dr. Metz out of Strong did my first uh, cataract. He did my cataract surgery. Um, um, I had uh, Dr. Ching did my first uh, coronary transplant. Uh, Holly did my second cornea transplant. So it's been, you know, really uh Good doctors, yeah. good city to have doctors in. Yep. Rochester is a great, you know, uh, outside of John Hopkins being probably one of the best. Yeah. And going out to California maybe, but in Rochester they got a great medical staff when it comes to eyesight. Yeah. So, so I mean, what what if you can remember? I mean, what I, I I mean I'm just thinking about you know being an 11, 12 year old kid and and you know having your vision starting to go away and I mean it it had to be. Scary, overwhelming. I, I don't remember that much of it. It happened so fast. Okay. Because I was at summer camp, came out of camp, I went to school. Um, my teachers were great. I never lost a year in school. I lost six weeks of school and never lost the year huh. because my teachers were so great. Yeah. Uh, I did go to Allendale, Columbia, uh-huh. Allendale at the time, and that's the reason. Yeah. They were able. To, they you know worked with me nights and stuff like that and got me through that whole mess. But I just don't remember it being scary outside okay. of the um, fact that and it happened so fast. It was. You know, three months deterioration, and three months later, I was back to normal. Okay. What I considered normal at the time, because the eyesight came back, and then it did started to deteriorate over the next fifty years. Okay. As they say. And I drove till eighty-two. Okay. Um, that's when I finally got to the point that I couldn't drive anymore. Right. My eyesight had deteriorated to the point in eighty-two that it was down to like twenty-one hundred, uh-huh. so you couldn't drive anymore. Right. And then the the right eye was gone at the same time, and then from then on, it's just been a deterioration to the point it's at right now. So when did so the you mentioned that once they cured the strep infection was was that something that was. Was it relatively easy to? It sounded like the, you had a you went to Johns Hopkins to get it diagnosed, but was it relatively easy to cure the strep infection? Well, or? back then they didn't have antibiotics. Okay. So literally, no, it wasn't. It was like uh, trying to. It was like there's like a hundred two different types of strep. Really. And they give you a skin shot for each one of them to okay. see which one you've got, and then they narrow it down. It's more like uh, allergy. Okay. When you're going to get allergy tests, mm-hmm. same thing. Then they deteriorate. Finally, they get it down to one. And then they go out and, I don't know, they kill some animal to get the serum. Right. And then you go through a year of desensitization. 
wow. a strep infection. So okay. it's a shot every week. Oh, up geez. and down. I hate needles. Yeah, <laughs> understandably so. <laughs> As I said, the 102 strep tests were one thing. Yeah. They, they did that all in one night. Wow. wow. Really? On your back. They oh, did wow. all 102 of them on the back. Oh, my goodness. So, And those are things I remember, but I don't remember whether I was scared or not like that because it was just my mother and I down there. Yeah. And there again, I had great support. So how were your parents? I mean, obviously, I mean, as a parent, that had to be tremendously scary. And and, I, and they never showed it. Although I think my mother, I saw more of my mother than I did my father. Yeah. My, my father was an incredible, just do your thing, go to work every day and, you know, do your thing. And he ran the shop that I have been running up to the last four or five years when I was trying to retire out mm-hmm. now. But he ran that for years. And uh, But you never noticed it. It was just part of every day we do this. Right. You do what you got to do. And he was a boater and a fisherman, and, you know, so, and, and a hard worker. I mean, if he wasn't working at work, he was working on the house or right. working on the cottage or working on something else. He was always working. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't ever remember the fear in them. They just, uh, but they've been incredibly supportive of me. Yeah. Um, they, they, you know, they watched out for me, just didn't let me know they were watching out for me. They kind of kept it quiet in the background, but yeah. they've always watched out for me. So. But the, so kind of the fact that they didn't it, 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 they didn't transmit the fear to you, so you didn't you didn't think to be afraid. It was like no, this is just they, you know they, they they never stopped me from doing anything. When okay. I wanted my license when I was sixteen, I got my license, and you know um, I was I can never forget um, back in the seventies I was snowmobiling a lot. Uh-huh. I could still see back then, but Doctor Pearson found out I was snowmobiling. He just about came unglued from himself. <laughs> You're driving a snowmobile, you know, because there's always the fear of to detach retina and all the other stuff that can happen. And right. I, 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 I always said, I looked at him, I said, I can't go on life looking at ifs. Right. Just do it. You know, you can't look at ifs. You just got to go do it. Yeah. And, then, you know, if if I fall and hit my head, am I going to get a detached retina? And right. The eyes were really bad anyways. I said, okay. You treat them somewhat d- decent. You try to be a little careful what you do to your eyes, but you don't, you know, you, you can't stop living. Yeah. So, um, I think that's wonderful advice. You know, you think about how many people are, they roll through life with just that constant, the what if, the fear, and, you know, and that, that's what causes them to kind of put those limitations on themselves. But, yeah. to, you know, to move without that is, is pretty liberating. Yeah, you, you, you just go. It's, it, you have to be cautious. I mean, right. there's always caution that gets involved in it, and, you, you know, careful. And, I, you know, I, I played softball till I was... Uh, the night I took myself out of the game, I couldn't see the ball coming off the bat anymore out okay. in, the, in the right field because it was a little dark and dusky that mm-hmm. night. And that was like 77. Okay. And that was one of those nights that got to me a little bit because mm-hmm. um, I knew I loved to play ball. I was, you know, and I was playing with all my friends, you know, the senior softball leagues and stuff like that, and I couldn't play anymore. Right. And, eh, okay. Now you go on to the next thing in life. Yeah. Bowling's always been something, you know, I've been doing it since I was like seven years old. And the 10-pin doesn't move. It's in the same place it was. 60 years ago. Right. So I don't, I don't worry about it. I, I, you know, am I as good as I could be if I had eyesight? No. But if I work a little harder at it, now, I now, can almost be as good. Uh, now, let's just hold on a second here because I know a little bit about your bowling, Keith. So, <laughs> uh, um, so you know, the, 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 the pinnacle in bowling is, is bowling a perfect game, 300, right? So yeah. it's, it's 13 strikes in a row, correct? Yeah, 12. Or 12 strikes in a row. 12 strikes in a row. 12 strikes in a row. So, uh, uh, and, and how many, how many perfect games? I've had you? five, <laughs> but that's, that, there's a, there's a couple reasons for that. One, okay. I bowl a lot. Yeah. I did it one time. I don't bowl near as much as I used to, but when you bowl in three leagues a week, 
and you put the time I did because I was coaching at the time. Okay. Because my kids were in the senior, you know, they were both bowling and they were, you know, senior varsity bowlers. So I was doing a lot of coaching. I learned a lot from coaching. Uh-huh. I had a coach who was an ex-touring pro okay. who understood the game. And in understanding the game, they can open up the room for error. Right. If you understand the game and you understand the technique, it's no longer trying to hit a board. You've uh-huh. got room for error. And he could build that room for error. So one of my errant shots wouldn't cost me as much as somebody else's errant shots. But it's just working at the game. It was nothing spectacular. I, 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 you know, anybody could be as good as I was if they would work at the game and just go practice. So how do you compensate, you know, with the with your eyesight for, you know, for something like bowling? You kind of, it's all in your imagination. Okay. You kind of look at an area and say, okay, that's where I'm going to throw the ball. And then you really almost got to put a mark out there to throw it. Because okay. there's nothing out there. You can't see anything. I yeah. can't see the arrows. I can't see the, the pins are a blur. So I shoot at something imaginary. Huh. And that's where you get your arm swing and get it going in that right direction. And you throw it out over that imaginary mark. Wow. And the other part of it is just understanding the game. The ball's going to go to this 8-12th board and turn left and go into the pocket. Uh-huh. It's also understanding that part of the game. But that's the technique of it. So does somebody explain uh, – uh, now, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not an expert bowler by any means, but you know, I understand enough that the, the lanes are oiled and things like that, and that affects the way the ball yeah. – right? That's the stuff I learned from my ex, my coach. Okay. So does somebody explain like how the how the lane is set up to you, and that helps you to visualize I'll, how to throw the ball? The guys I bowl with are pretty good about the fact that if I throw it, I'll ask them how my ball reacted. Okay. Uh, I also got a feel for it because I can almost, you know, I, I can't see what it's totally doing, but I've been I've been bowling since I was seven, so I pretty much know what it's going to do. Okay. And I can figure out, you know, okay, that ball's not reacting the way I want it. I got to move a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can make my adjustments. I don't make my adjustments fast enough, and okay. that's because I can't adjust like somebody who sees, oh, I knew what that ball did. I have to kind of guess, okay, what did that ball really do? But it's just... Can it's, you tell that by sound, or can you, how, what gives you a sense of what the ball did? Well, I can tell when it hits a pocket by the sound. Okay. If it's hit, if I did it right, um, and also you can just see uh, you know how fast the pins move and whether it's a light hit or not. Okay. Um, I can't always tell which pin I left up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the guys I bowl with will say, you know, either that or the new scoring machines are kind of nice because they tell you which pins left up there. Okay. Uh, and I just know uh, sometimes I think it helps me maybe. Because I don't have to worry about hitting a board. You got, you're shooting at an area, right? And 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 perhaps you know it might it might minimize some of the distraction. Even I, I suppose in a yeah, sense, yeah, it does. Because you you can't I can't see anything to the right or left of me a little bit, so that doesn't bother me as much. So yeah, it, it, it losing the eyesight, your focus becomes better anyway. So uh-huh. you had asked me the other day about my senses coming back. The yeah. two senses that came back, I I couldn't figure out what they really were, and hearing's one of them. Yeah. But the other one is my focus is when I really, when I, my focus is good, I'm really good. Okay. Um, some days it's, you know, some days it's hard to focus. Other days it's better. But some days I can really focus. And the 300 games were those games where you're, you're locked in. Yeah. You're just, uh, and some of it's luck, blessed, you know, okay. The off shot carried. Okay? Right. Uh, you know, the, it, it's the amount of games you bowl. If you only bowl three games a week in one league, you're probably not going to bowl 300 very often because you just don't have the, you don't have the opportunity to start stringing strikes and get right. a good feel for it. It's all feel. 
so talk to us about you know the you know traditionally when we think of focus we we think of you know visually focusing but you know as you're talking about it's more the mental focus yeah it's all I mean, mental focus you really have to visualize something there that's not there okay uh, okay I can throw that because I have a tendency to it, it, my eyes move a little bit and if they move they don't focus real fast okay so it's really really bad is it's bad enough you can't see what you're shooting at anyways but if you move your eye now you got to refocus. You can't refocus real fast. So you've almost got to put that out of your mind. Okay. And just really focus on something that's not there. Is there is there something that you do or or have done, you know, in those games where you're you know bold the perfect game that you know where it kind of helps you click into that focus better? Um, if I find myself in that level and uh-huh. I start doing that, I kind of just lose myself in it. Okay. Just don't get distracted by talking about stuff that could distract you or something like that just stay kind of in the moment yeah um i I often i've never really thought about that but i know i go back and look at the games when i did that Mm -hmm. i didn't get distracted during the game i didn't get in the argument with the guy next door because he stepped in my way or something like that you just kind of you know let everything go and just focus on what you're doing yeah you know a lot of athletes they talk about that is kind of being in the zone you know and and it's the the ability to eliminate all those other distractions and just be in that moment, so yeah. to speak. And I think some of it's how good you are. I, I got a friend of mine who's a, almost a scratch golfer. Uh-huh. And it's all hand-eye coordination. Yeah. And he's been that way since he was in college. And for him, he only plays golf you know, once or twice a week, but he's still fantastic at yeah. it. But he's got great hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his focus is fairly good, too. But I think you know my hand-eye coordination isn't too bad. But the problem is there's no eyesight to focus on. Yeah. So, so you have to create that. So. And so, and and so, as a golfer, is again, I can't. I think about golf as being one of those. You know, it's a very hand-eye coordination. You know, uh, dominant sport. So, how did have you? Did you begin to learn to golf before you had yeah. the eyesight it's, issues? It's I'm a, yeah, I've been playing golf for years, but okay. I'm, I'm not good at that. Golf is. I love being outside. Yeah, and golf's all about being outside just you know do i try to be a, i don't compete against anybody when i golf with myself yeah that's it i don't I, I don't play in leagues or anything like that because it's just you can't do it because right. i have to have somebody watch where the ball's going and uh, i can't afford uh, caddies so yeah <laughs> i have to rely on my kids <laughs> and stuff like that so you get your kids helping you but i think that's more uh, there's focus involved just hitting the ball because on the ball on the tee i can't see real well right so so that's but i compete against myself i'm never i'm never going to be a good golfer but yeah. eh, i can have some fun with it i enjoy it and and is that very much the same thing where you you, you sort of visualize what it is you, you know the way your body's moving and, and visualize where the ball is so that you're able to do it yeah the, the 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 issue with golf is um i can't see where the ball comes off the ball where it's going i can't see okay. a hooker slice right so you, you really gotta you know uh, you almost go by where it landed and say okay that's where it landed my son will say, there it is, out there. I said, okay. And they'll tell me. Most of the people like, well, okay, that hook, that slice, that, you know. Okay. And you can tell where it lands. When you get out to where it lands, you can figure out what your shot was. And, right. So. And so do you think that uh, that you have a better sense of sort of what your body is doing because uh, be, because of the way you're visualizing things? I don't think so. I think it's just the fact if you practice, you're going to get good at anything. Yeah. I, I, I would be a hell of a lot better golfer if I go out and practice once in a while. Right, And I right. just don't have the time. Or yeah. I, I, I lose the time because I haven't got somebody who can do it with me. I don't have a caddy. Right. But if I could practice and play once or twice a week, I'd probably get better at that too. Okay. And that's why I'm just a kind of a 
bad golfer, but I, I enjoy it. And, and so tell us about, you know, you, you, you before we got started, you were talking about, um, you know, sailing and sailing across the Great Lakes and things like that. And so how, how is it that the, when, you're, when your eyesight isn't there, how do you handle the sailing and the motorboating and things like that? Well, even at 2300 or 2250, uh-huh. I could see out, you know, and binoculars bring things in. Okay. You know, so you can see it. And it's all about charting your course and sailing mm-hmm. it. And I was never afraid of the Great Lakes. I've been stuck out in some pretty good sized storms that would get my attention. Yeah. Uh, we raced the sailboat for quite a few years and a lot of things, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But I don't think um, eyesight really bothers anybody who sails. Yeah. Um, in, 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 in there again, my supporting staff, my, yeah. you know, who, who sailed with me, my, you know, when it come to the cruiser going across the lake and my wife drove it most of the time because she could drive a straighter line than I could. Right. Right. Uh, I could, I could look up at the sky and watch the sky uh-huh. and then steer off the sky, you know, or the waves. I steer off waves a lot. Okay. You get an angle on the wave and that's how you're going to hit it. Just keep hitting it. Okay. So, uh, but I can't look out and see something 10 miles to smark off of. Okay. Like, you know, my wife says, oh, there's the, there's the, the, we could see the uh, windmills on Wolf Island. Right. I said, we'll head toward them. Yeah. <laughs> head in that direction, we're going the right direction. Well, so. y- and you joked earlier that she likes you to dock the boat. Oh, she you know? can't dock the boat. She won't, she won't have any part of it. She, <laughs> she just looks at me and hands me, I always, I, I always taught her what to happen if something happened to me. I said, just beach it. Right, just, right. Just run it up on the beach. Don't worry about it. I said, <laughs> but she, she won't dock a boat, so. Wow. That's just, I, I, anybody can dock a big boat if you get used to it. Yeah. You know, because I always said, it was funny, we put the big boat in the water in the spring, it takes me four hours to figure out how to drive it again. Yeah. Because you, you lose that ability all winter long on what the boat's going to do. Right. And, you know, feeling the wind, I was really good at that in the sailboat. As you said, what senses come up, I could feel wind. Okay. To the point of really being able to sail the boat really good because you could feel it in your face which direction it was coming from. Okay. Um, Everybody else looks at the twills on the water, and I kind of just feel it where the wind's coming from. It. So, so Keith, um, and I, I shared with you before. You know, you and you and I know a lot of people in common, and and I was you know talking to somebody who uh, you know who, who we both know really well, and and he made a comment uh, the other day when we were talking about you. He said, he said, you know, he goes, I've I've never looked at Keith as as being handicapped, and and he said, and I think the reason is is because. Keith doesn't look at Keith as being handicapped. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how did you, how'd you avoid that label? Or how did you, you know, how did you, you know, so many people, they would, their, their, their life would get smaller and smaller and smaller as their vision kind of got less and less and less. But you, yours didn't. I, I, I feel blessed that I've got what sight I've got for yeah. starters. So you kind of open up on that a little bit. Um, I, it, it, I don't see it as a handicap. Um, I just feel there's things I can't do. Right. Okay, I can't do this. Okay, I'll go do something else. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't drive anymore. I think that was probably the biggest hit I ever took in my life is when I lost my license. Because you used to drag race. Yeah, I used to love to drive. I, you know, that was my I think I, I could go out and just drive all night just for the fun of it. Yeah. I just love to drive. We were in, I grew up in that era. Yeah. The, the, the mid-60s. Yep. The, muscle cars. Muscle cars and, and yeah. all the other stuff. And uh, I love to drive. And I think that was the biggest hit I took in 82. Yeah. And that was probably the, one of the biggest struggle because now you're relying on somebody else to take you places. Right. And there again, I had great supporting staff. So they didn't see it any bother to take me to work. Okay. It doesn't bother them. And all of a sudden, it doesn't, it's not a handicap from my side of it. Did so. you go through, I mean, was there a, 
a, a time of depression that sort of followed that? Or was it just, well, I can't do it anymore. I can't so do I'm... it anymore. I go do something else. It was like when I couldn't drive anymore, go buy the sailboat, go start racing a sailboat, go look for something else to do. Right. Because there are going to be limitations. Everybody's got limitations, yeah. what they can do and what they can't do. So you can look for something else, but do something. Don't. Yeah. So where did that attitude come from? I mean, that's because that's a, that's a unique perspective. I mean, for many people, and when you know something happens, they, they lose something. They're gonna go through that that you know the the stages of mourning and and they get depressed about it and all of that. And, and for you, it was just like, okay, I can't do that, so I'll go do something else. Um, was that something your parents? I don't know. They, them, my or? parents were strong. They didn't. They they were always hard workers. Yeah. I think maybe it's just a work ethic. Just yeah. work at it. You know, and you can be good at anything you want if you just work at it. It also depends how much time you got and mm-hmm. how much you want to put into it. How good do you want to get at it? Right. I could be a better bowler again if I wanted to be. If I wanted to go up and work bowl three nights a week again and really get into it, mm-hmm. I could be better than I am right now. But. That I don't know if I want to put that much time because now I got grandkids and right. all the other stuff. And I still like my boating and my fishing and stuff like that. So um, I, I don't know. I, I can't put a key onto that. I really don't know why I'm different that way that, okay, can't do it. Go do something else. Yeah. Uh, but it strikes me. I mean, there just has to be a almost just that underlying belief, you know, that, you know what, whatever I focus on, I'm going to get better at. So Yeah. I mean, it, it, the more you do something, the, you're going to get better at it. Yeah. Um, and you make... I, mean, I work every day. I work on a computer all day long. Yeah. But there's things I do that, I mean, I have to get within a half inch of the screen. Okay. I have magnifying glasses. You use the tools you can get your hands on to get better at what you do. Right. But you can't, I, you know, the tools are there. The, you have to, you know, you have to work on a computer. That's part of life. Yeah. Um, uh, I think one of my biggest assets that I've ever had is I, with technology at my age, I'll be 70 very shortly. Um, I never let a computer get in my way. I mean, th- they were a tool to use, and they were a great tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in our business, where we are, we're making better temperatures and things like that in a commercial heat treat. Um, you have to keep up with that. You have to stay with those tools and, and learn how to use them. I don't have to learn how they work. I just got to learn how to use them. Right. Uh, my son knows how they work. I just, <laughs> he's the IT person. Yeah. So, so. so, so you, um, you know, so so you're kind of going back a little bit. on. So initially your eyesight, you started to, you know, when you were 11, 12 years old, it hit you. Then it kind of came back. And then it was in your late teens that it started to deteriorate again? or I didn't really notice it deteriorating until okay. the, probably the mid-70s. Okay. Um, so how old were you at that point when it, when it started to become more apparent that it was, it was starting to deteriorate? 27, 26, 27, because I had my first cataract surgery in 20... In 79, so okay. I was 29. Okay. Um, so it was right there that it started to deteriorate again and okay. to the point that, you know, the, all of a sudden in 79, there's going to be a point where, okay. And that was because of the cataract. Right. And, you know, so you just go get the cataract taken care of. Yep. Okay. Next thing is, I'll never forget the morning I came out of the hospital after the cataract surgery. Uh, I'll never forget the fact that with the cataracts, you get start, everything starts getting white on you. Okay. And when you have the lens removed and it's gone, now all of a sudden green's green. The yeah. trees are, and I, I happened to do it in the spring, so okay. I came out and everything was gorgeous again. Wow! That was probably that was probably the coolest thing I can ever remember is coming out and seeing all the colors again. Yeah, because cataract surgery really takes. I've never lost the colors again. Huh? Up to this point, I still can see colors real well because okay. my my vision is. 
I got clearer into my retina now, but oh. now it's just the fact that it's fuzzy and okay. uh, it doesn't, I don't get the, uh, it's like lurk, working through saran wrap. Right, right. So it, it'll never be that clear again. Uh, yeah. You know, as I said, it's starting to deteriorate now where I know I'm going to have to go get something taken care of again. Okay. But every time we do that, it never brings it back to a really, the original spot. It always loses a little bit in the process. Okay. So it's, you know, so you, it's kind of, you go through the pendulum and then you go, and then there's uh, you know, surgery or something yeah. and it can kind of help it come back a little bit and, you know. Start all over again. So, yeah. Uh, doctors keep looking at me and say, it's surprising I can still see. Hmm. So that's what's blessing. You know, we've stayed ahead of them. It's going to still see and and as long as I can still see, I'm going to keep doing things. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing that, uh, you know, is, is incredibly impressive. So you work in an environment, you know, where you're, you're heat treating steel, there's furnaces. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, you know, it's a, it, it, there's a, in a, it's not necessarily a safe environment, you know, or there's definitely hazards that are there. So how do you do that? I got to avoid the hazards. <laughs> Rightfully so. Uh, yeah. It's just, I, I've been, I've been in the shop. I've worked in the same place for 53 years. Okay. I know where the bricks are. Right. Uh, I can still get around the shop fairly well, although I take my time now. I don't run through the shop anymore. I kind of, you know, and uh, there again, the, the guys at the shop have been, they, you know, they know I have an issue. So they're, they're all pretty good about it. Right. So, uh, and I can do my job. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the key is you have to go do your job every day. So yeah. you use tools to do your job at that point in time. So um, um, I, I, I find today one of the hardest far things for me to do, believe it or not, is mow lawn. Really? I can't see where I've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have to let the lawn get just a little bit longer. Okay. So now I can see where I've been. Right, right. Most people just go out and mow. I can't do that. I have to wait for it to get a little longer so I can see. So you can see I, the contrast yeah, so a little bit more. So you can see the, con the contrast where I've been. So, huh. Uh, which drives my wife a little nuts because the lawn gets a lot. That's okay. Yeah. So oh, hey. You know. And there again, the eye doctors tell me I shouldn't be mowing the lawn because of the dust. Right. Huh. You can't do that. You just got to go do it. Yeah, you can't live your life in a bubble. No, no, I won't do that. So. Yeah. So, so. Well, well, you know, so Keith, I'm, I'm curious if, um, you know, you've been through a, a phenomenal journey of life. You've, you know, you, you're decidedly an individual who... You know, you, 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 even though others have tried to put limits on you, you, you haven't put limits on yourself. Uh, and the, so uh, knowing what you know from the, you know, from the, the, the journey, if you had to go back and give the, you know, the 12-year-old Keith, uh, you know, advice from what you've learned, what, what advice would you give your, your young self? I, I think the idea is... Um, I always have had the dream that I'll be able to see again. Uh -huh. Don't ever lose the dream. Yeah. It might happen. So, you know, so you have the dream. Okay, someday I might be able to see and drive again. Okay, in reality, is it going to happen? Probably not. But it's something to dream about. Yeah. Keep, up, keep up. Always keep the fact that, you know, it's it could be, it might get better. And, and think about the fact that it could be a lot worse. Yeah. So you, you're kind of in the middle. Um, so you, you you have the dreams, but, you know, reality of life sets in and says, okay, just going to do it. I, I can still go play golf. I'm very happy about that. I can still bowl. Okay, fine and dandy. When I can't do those things, I'll go find something else to do. I'm not going to, you know, uh, I, I don't enjoy just sitting around. Uh, I can fish. I'll be able to fish for the rest of my life, and I love fish now. Yeah. So that's, uh, there again, I got a lot of friends that we go fishing together. So uh, I don't have to worry about being the soul's how to get there and stuff. There you go. I said, you're no better than your supporting staff. Yeah. My friends have been great. You know, I got one friend that picks me up. We go fishing once a year. Huh. Picks me up, takes me, we go fishing and, you know, we do it every year and he's been great about it. So, uh, 
I think there again, it's the people around you that make has made my life easier. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's friends of ours, yep. joint friends have been joint. Get into Uber, you know, because yep. I don't use Uber. Right? <laughs> he says, get into Uber. You got to learn how to use Uber. I right. says, okay, that'll be the next step in learning how to use Uber so I can get around a little easier by my own. So, there you go. So, and then, you know, it's the thing. But I, I, I don't see myself as anything special. I just do what I got to do and I enjoy life. Yeah. I think, and I, I, I think one thing as I, I I, I don't think I really would change a whole lot in what I did because I don't think I could. Yeah. I don't think anything I would keep doing. I think, I think the one thing I, I never blamed anybody. Yeah. Because there's no blame in this. This yeah. is this is now nobody's fault. This is just a fact of life. So you you, you go on with it. Um, I think I've I've seen friends blame things. You know yeah. they blame this, blame that. It, 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 there's nothing you can do about that. It's just part of life. So you but, just continue on. But that in and of itself is so unique. You know, so many people are, you know, oh, woe is me, and why did this happen to me, and why, you know, and they, and, and they kind of go down that, 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 that kind of victim thought process. How, how did you avoid that? I just, it, it, there's, there was nobody, to, there's nobody to blame. Yeah. It's, 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 if, you know, I can't blame myself. Yeah. I could, because it's basically my body that's deteriorating, nobody else's. But uh, if you look at, uh, and nobody else blamed me. I've never had it around me. Yeah. My my support staff never blamed anybody for it. I never saw anybody yell and scream and say, okay, this was caused because of this. Why was it caused? They still, to this day, do not know what caused yeah. hmm. or what caused the strep germ to flare it up. Um, they had rumors and they thought about things and it could be rheumatic fever and all this stuff, but nobody really knows. Yeah. It's just, you know, can you blame the environment? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? It's yeah. just, there's no sense to it. That's a waste of time. Yeah. Well, and that's in, and I think you're I think you're 100 percent correct on that. You know, the, it, there's a lot of wasted energy that goes and blame and worry. Yes. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't it, it doesn't get you anywhere. No, just, you know, just how you face it. Just keep going with it. And what you do, I love to do. Uh, you know, I still love to compete. That's that's, you know, it's a little competition here and there in the bowling. Yeah. I like to go out and compete against my sons. Yeah. Um, it's good competition. It's fun. Yeah. Especially when I can beat him once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a little blow to their ego, yeah, but, a, a uh, you know. Bit, yeah. I, I've, I've had people comment about, you know, and it's it's the jokes. Yeah. And, you know, um, there are people, I've beat people bowling that really got irritated by it. Uh-huh. They, they, you know, the blind guy just beat me, you know. <laughs> And I, I don't think they really realize it. You could have beat me easily if you'd put more time into the game than right. I put into it. I said, it. It's nothing special that I beat you. It's just the fact that you didn't put enough time in the game. Right. Um, uh, and I've heard all the blind jokes in the world, and they never bothered me. Yeah. It's just, okay, it's, it's, you know, I've never had anybody really get mean about it. I have a couple of people I know, but it, it's just, okay, you, you want to be that way, be that way, that's fine. Right. It, it's, it's uh, you, you can't... You, it's not affecting them. You, when somebody jokes about something like that, there's nothing mean in some people's jokes. People yeah. are, right now they take all this. Everybody, everybody says, "Oh, it's mean." Well, some of it isn't mean. Some of it's just plain funny. Yeah, uh, you know. And I laugh at blind jokes. There are some good jokes out there. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh when I trip over something because I didn't see it. And yeah. Somebody'll say, "Well, you, well, oh well, didn't see it. My fault for not looking." Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Know, it's, you, know, I, you know, there again, if I trip over something, it's not. Nobody's fault that I tripped over it. It's right. my own fault for not taking the time or just making sure I did it right or, or, or doing that. So uh, I think today in, in that age, you've got to go with that. So yeah. and, and some of the jokes are funny. I think people just take some things way too seriously. Yeah. No. So. Uh, it's it. You know, you are an inspiration in so many regards, and in, in you know what it is you do, and 
And, and I think there's wonderful lessons for everybody in that, you know, in that, you know, avoid the, you know, avoid the labels, no matter how hard other people may try to put them on you. And, uh, and, you know, don't, don't go down that victim pathway of, you know, pointing fingers at, you know, oh, woe is me and all of that, because that doesn't serve anything. And, you know, hold on to that dream of, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. And I think also, I think I look at a lot of the people out there, there's so many people out there have fought things a lot worse than I've ever fought. Them. Yeah. Uh, and, and have, you know, um, you look at some of the disabilities people got, and there are so many people that have achieved so much. I, th- I think you need to look at people f- for the good things they do and not the bad things. So you don't look at their disability. Look at what they're good at. For every person that's got something they can't do, there's something they can do really well. Yeah. And you need to look at that, and especially even in your job. Don't find a job you're just you – know, find a job you're good at. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 the, and there's always something. Everybody that comes into our place who's ever worked for us, I've never looked at what they did wrong. I have always looked at what they can do really well. Yeah. And, and you take that and build on it. And I've been lucky. My bosses, who are my bosses now, yeah. have never looked at me, as you said, have never looked at me with a disability. They've always looked at what I could do for them good. Yeah. And that meant a lot to me. So basically, I'm still no better than what the supporting staff is around me. Yeah. But that's a good thing. You don't look at somebody for what they can't do. Look at them for what they can do. And, you know, so in managing, you know, people in the shop and things like that, the, how do you see them respond when you, when you treat them that way? I've had great response from the team members I've had with me. Yeah. Because um, we've all got faults. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't look at a mistake as the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay? They made a mistake. Let's try not to make the mistake again. Let's learn from what we did, and let's go on from there. Yeah. Oh, but you're really good at this, so we're going to specialize you this. Um, I, I, you know, being in the heat treat industry, we're dealing with tool and die people and everything else. So we're, you know, most of the people are not rocket scientists. It's mm-hmm. not rocket science, but they all have good points and they're smart. And you just bring that out and, you know, and just kind of look aside from the things they're not good at. You can work around it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can work around not doing some of the things I don't want to do, they can work, you work around some of the good things, but everybody can do something well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, very, very well. You know, Keith, I, I got to say, it's uh, it, 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 thank you so much for coming in today and and sharing your story with us and 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 helping all of us to really look at ourselves a little bit differently and what we're giving ourselves permission to do. Uh, you you truly are an inspiration. So thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. I just hope you know people look at it and I have done some good someplace along the line. There you go. I think so. you decidedly have. So okay. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, one more thing before you take off. This is Motivational Intelligence Insider. It's just a very short, exclusive email uh, every Monday that comes from Dave, John, and the guests on this show. Uh, This is the only place they share their very, very best stuff, and it's delivered right to your inbox every single Monday. Uh, This could include exclusive tips for upping your game, uh, articles they're reading, videos they're watching, stories from the road, and on and on. It's the best way to kick off your week, and this content uh, comes directly from Dave, John, and the guests, and is only available to subscribers of Motivational Intelligence Insider. So if you want these guys and gals to email you their best stuff, go to 2logical.com forward slash insider. That's the number 2logical.com forward slash insider and drop in your email. And if you do, I hope you enjoy.
The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at Two Logical. Two Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. Two Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Advisor, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to 2logical.com.